Welcome to How Life Changed, a podcast that features stories of real people and how their lives have changed as a result of COVID-19. I'm your host, John Noltner, and I'm glad you could join us. Change is a constant in life, but as a global community, we're now in the midst of unprecedented change as a result of the pandemic, and it's altering our work, home, and community lives in unexpected and profound ways. Each of us will experience this outbreak in our own unique fashion, each of us a single thread woven into the fabric of this historic event. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll explore just one of those threads, one person's story, and through that lens, hope to gain some human insight into the bigger picture of what's happening in our world today. We're recording this episode of How Life Changed on Friday, April 3rd, 2020. Today I'm talking with Jason Carlson of Twin Cities Wine Education and the Wine Workshop in Minnesota. So Jason, thanks for taking the time to talk. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Uh, Would you start out by, um, let me ask this, what was your business model one month ago? (laughs) Yeah, so one month ago... Um, And for 20 years before that, the business model was pretty simple. Uh, Twin Cities Wine Education specialized in wine education, uh, live events, classes, private events, in-home tastings, sommelier training, um, restaurant training, retail training, wholesaler training, basically me in a room with a bunch of people and teaching them about wine. And um, that was the, that's the way that life has been for a long time. And uh, it's our full-time jobs, our full-time income. Both uh, my wife and I are self-employed with that company and uh, our son as well. And uh, that's kind of uh, what we've been doing or what we were doing up until um, March 3rd specifically. Yeah, yeah. So tell me when uh, was that the day when you thought to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to shift? That that was the first day that we had a, a sense of the covid impact possibly happening. So going back into uh, early March, and I'm glad that you, that you date stamp your, uh, your podcast because my good friend Joe has a wonderful saying that is, we'll never know less than we do now. And so it'll be interesting to, uh, to look back, you know, six months or a year from now and to kind of see what we talked about, you know, during the first week of April during this, uh, during this, um, the storm that we're all in. But, um, so going back to, uh, March, uh, everything was hunky dory on, uh, on March 3rd. And I bring that date up specifically because that was a Wednesday and our ticketing company that we used Eventbrite um, is the company that we use for all of our ticket sales for all of our events. And, uh, we've had a very good relationship with them in the past. We had a good setup with them that every Wednesday, uh, get paid out about 80% of our sales for that week. And so we had a nice cash flow situation set up. So we could always could always project out, and we really knew where we were at financially. Everything was good. Um, and March third, we got our money deposited. All good. Fast forward one more week, and March eleventh, I'm waiting for my deposits to show up, and I see them click through on their website. But then immediately they turn into being canceled. And then I open up my email, and we have an email from Eventbrite saying we are holding all funds for all event planners until five days after the event is over, in anticipation of refund requests. So that was the end of our cash flow. So March third was the last day, unbeknownst to me, that we got paid. Uh, March eleventh, we found out that 
um, everything's cut off. And of course, we can't do an event and have it be over so we can get the money five days later. So we've got an, an enormous amount of money locked up uh, through that service right now for events that we'll, we'll probably not do until August, September, October, hopefully. You know, we'll see how this whole thing plays out. So everything uh, shut down, you know, right away. That was it. Um, and that was a, a very difficult uh, half hour of sitting there kind of looking outside and wondering what to do. And we, we like to make lemonade out of lemons and um, we're entrepreneurial. And so we immediately pivoted uh, quickly and we spent five days of 20 hour days, you know, sometimes literally um, programming a new website and designing a new business plan and logos and branding and marketing strategies. And then we launched uh, the wine workshop five days later, five days later, Five days later. Yep. Five days later, we launched and then we did our first webinar based wine class through that nine days after um, the initial thought of it. And then we've done, I think, a month to date or, or existence to date, probably about 18, 19 events. Every single day we're doing one or two right now. So it, it is uh, pedal to the metal. It's crazy, but it's working and, um, and it's given us focus. And when you're, when, with the topic of your podcast and the events that we're running into right now in the world, um, you know, I'm somebody who, who does suffer from some anxiety and I've noticed that, you know, if I, if I can stay focused and stay busy and, and have a goal, then that really keeps me on track for sure. And that's been the experience during this entire event. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me a little bit more about these, um, the wine workshop and how that web-based thing is working. Yeah. So the wine workshop, we, we, what we're doing. Um, so obviously we had a very powerful email list with Twin Cities Wine Education. A lot of people that knew us personally. So, so we're blessed in the fact that we had a, a great launching pad and I was able to communicate with all my customers exactly what's going on, how bad things are, and just basically ask for help. So when we launch this thing, please support and spread the word. And so we formed the wine workshop and the wine workshop has basically two components going on. One is these one hour wine webinars that are focused on a topic or a grape variety and um, a lot of very deep, fast, but fun education. We make these webinars just really fun. I have, I, I have a collection of hats that I kind of have people vote on which one I'm going to wear that night. And then we have a bunch of bottles that we kind of show off. We always pop a bottle with the group. The chat within the um, workshops is fantastic. Because people will type in what they're drinking, they'll see friends on the chat, they'll say hi to them, and it's actually turned into this awesome little one-hour escape from reality and connecting with friends at the same time. It, it's, it's almost like meeting them at a wine bar. I mean, it's just been really fun. So that's one thing that we're doing these one hour wine workshops. And then we have another thing on that website called wine workshop plus, which is um, really fun. And it's a three day immersion into a topic of wine. And what we do is we have a social board that we designed that um, everybody plugs into, and then we'll have different columns with different topics and different questions and daily assignments. And people post pictures of their pets and the bottles they're drinking and them drinking wine on the deck and then the food they're having it with. And meanwhile, I'm peppering a bunch of information out to them all the time. So over the course of three days, they learn a ton, but they also get to know, know each other and learn about wine from each other. And then we finish that off with the webinar as well. So, um, so the workshop pluses are, um, for people that want more social interaction and then just the regular workshops are um, just a straight up one hour, quick deep dive wine education. 
Nice. Nice. Yep. So uh, for everyone listening, I'm going to put the link to the wine workshop in the liner awesome. notes for this podcast. So you can uh, link through and check it out. Great. The wine workshop.net. All right. All right. We'll, we'll type that out too in the notes and uh, so people can make sure to find it. Uh, so I'm curious um, as an entrepreneur, you, you shifted really quickly. And, and uh, when I think you said lemons out of lemonade. I suppose we could say wine out of yep. grapes uh, yep. if, if we <laughs> want to be dorky about it, but <laughs> but that's not the same saying. Um, but but I'm curious what that mindset is like. What is the journey from holy crap, everything just stopped to okay, we have to figure out something new? Well, it, it, the the journey was instantaneous because there was no option. Um, the, 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 there was, there was no fallback plan. There's nothing, there was nothing else that we could do other than make something click. And so the, the journey was a holy crap moment and it was a, uh, panic moment. Um, and then a lot of, uh, fear, you know, a lot of vulnerability, is this going to work? You know, we're, we're going to put five days of our life into it. And if I hit go and it's just crickets, there is no backup plan. So, I mean, I, I, it was the worst, hardest working week of my entire life. I mean, it was, you know, as, as bad as it gets. And, you know, that's something that was a fiction. I mean, literally a fiction three weeks before, you know, or two weeks before, even one week before. It was just, you know, I just didn't imagine um, that we'd have to pivot that much. So in terms of what was it like, it was, it was horrible, but also wonderful at the same time because we were building and we felt like we were um, uh, staying focused in a very positive way toward a goal. And I think that I, I'm, I'm, I'm big on when it comes to kind of lifestyle design, I, I, I've been taking up a lot of the ideas in the uh, book um, Atomic Habits that uh, came out recently. And Atomic Habits has an interesting part that uh, concerns goals. And it's not that you're not um, setting goals, but, but use the goal of action as the goal rather than to try to find a destination that you have to reach. And so with that mindset, we dived headfirst into simply taking action. And that's how we felt like we were actually in control. Um, I'm kind of a control freak. And if I'm not feeling like I'm in control, like I have my fit hands on the steering wheel the whole time, then I just absolutely lose. So it's turned into a puddle. So you don't, so you don't necessarily have to know exactly what that end goal is, as long as you're no. moving and you can shift in the way. Is that, is that what you're yep. saying? Exactly. The actions toward a goal that is the wrong goal is all wasted action. And so the whole idea behind some of the stuff that we've been following and, and kind of reading and studying up on is um, having the, the goal simply be the action and just knowing that you're progressing forward every single moment. Um, incremental progress is basically the whole, the whole idea it, bit by bit every day you're moving in the direction that you want to move in. And really there's no, there's no end point on the horizon. You just keep on going because that's kind of what life is. Right. Right. One step at a time, one day. Exactly. At a time. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Uh, so talk about some of the other issues that are rolling through the wine industry, maybe the hospitality industry, sure. some of the things you see going on around you. Obviously, a complete meltdown of the restaurant industry. Um, the restaurant industry um, is has pivoted uh, as they as they could into takeout and delivery, uh, which is not sustainable for a restaurant. Um, these restaurants are, you know, forty person to two hundred person sit down restaurants with no butts in the seat. So they're paying the rent on this enormous space. They actually just need a kitchen now, and 
almost all restaurants that I've talked to or dealt with um, immediately let, let all their employees go, uh, except for a core group of uh, chefs and managers. And every day they just sort of keep cranking out their food. There was a wonderful example of a restaurant that pivoted. It was one of the earliest ones out in Seattle. And I don't remember the name of it. I apologize, but it starts with a C. Um, and uh, it's one of the fancier restaurants in Seattle. Before this whole storm hit, they were doing 150 person a night fixed price dinners. And then um, the owner of the restaurant said, I want to keep all, I'm going to shut down uh, table service. We're going to turn it into $12 burgers that are available for delivery. And I'm going to take all of my servers and hire them as delivery drivers. And he, he just put the word out there right away. And it was, it was an amazing shift that he did because obviously he had a lot of press that got generated from this high end Michelin star chefs chef all of a sudden having burgers that you could have at home delivered from his staff. And, um, and we, we hear other stories like that in the industry, but it's just been horrible. Ironically, the beneficiaries of this whole thing have been the liquor stores. Um, liquor stores are considered a, a essential service in the states that are locked down and um, with stay-at-home orders. And the liquor stores are just gangbusters. But um, everybody who I talk to who owns a liquor store, you know, of course they love the business, but they can't be happy about it. They, they, they know it's at the expense of the restaurants, and they also know that, they, um, that, they, that, that people are having a hard time, you know, that this is a, a panic situation for a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, to be honest, alcohol smooths that out for a lot of people. So you're seeing a lot of people coming into the liquor stores now, you know, with that look on their face. And they just simply want to have a, a glass of wine or, you know, a pint of vodka or something like that. So I do worry about the addiction aspect um, kicking in to high gear with this situation. A lot of people are at home by themselves um, and they really can't do anything. And if they have issues with alcohol, this might exacerbate that situation. So I am really worried about that. Yeah, I do have a sense that we're going to have a whole different crop of mental health issues and oh, social yeah. disorders that we're going to have to sort through by the time we get to the end of this. Exactly, exactly. The, the, the weirdest thing, going back to uh, your question about how how's it impacted the industries, um, the weirdest thing to me is that there is a weird dichotomy, and it's not a matter of haves and have-nots. It's not that the, that the, that the poor um, or, the, or the workers at the restaurants are the ones getting um, the worst end of the deal here. Um, necessarily, and it's not that the that the rich are safe. Um, what's interesting here is that I know a lot of very rich restaurant owners that now, because they're they're leveraged out, you know, they have bills to pay and they have no way to keep up with those bills. They're 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 tumbling down fast. And at the same time, you have a, like like a thirty uh, five year old bartender who has been a happy, wonderful bartender for fifteen years because they love freedom, because they love the idea of flexibility in their life and in their job so they chose they choose they chose to be a bartender and now they're out of work and now what do they do and so we have we have two people at different ends of the economic spectrum that are both in the soup at the same time and it's a very it's a very weird part of this whole thing to me is that this dichotomy that it's not haves and have nots it's it's selective based on industry i also have other friends that are it specialists for companies or cities around the world they're fine. You know, they just keep working at home. They keep doing what they're doing. They make sure websites are up and, um, and they're doing great. They just simply have more time to paint the living room now and learn how to play the guitar. 
So right, it, right. It is an interesting, it, it is an interesting uh, division between those right. who, who continue to uh, receive full-time paychecks and right. those who are both isolating and trying to scramble and figure out how to stay above water. Right, right. And, and you know, none of this was even imaginable. I mean, uh, absolutely none of it was imaginable, you know, two months ago. Yeah. What do you miss most these days? Uh, going to a wine bar or just any bar and just sitting down and watching strangers talk. Um, I miss, I miss the, the random chatter um, around a bar or around tables. I, I love going out to uh, just have a glass of wine and watch new couples that are on a first date or uh, couples that are having a fight or, or a couple of buddies that haven't seen each other for a long time and just sort of listening in on their conversation. I mean, I miss just the option of doing that. Um, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing that I miss right now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you had to make a recommendation, what's your wine of choice right now? If you're, <laughs> if, if you're going to get to whatever. the end of, End of a long day, and you want yeah. to pour yourself a glass of wine. What's that going to be? Well, whatever's open at the moment. I mean, <laughs> um, oh boy. No, the, the thing about you know personal wine preferences is that it's. I always liken it to music, um, and I can't tell you what music to turn on. Uh, I can't invalidate your music choices, and so when it comes down to wine, it's very much the same thing. Um, it, it, you know, it's whatever's going to make you happy. It's whatever's going to make you um, lean back and look at the glass and say, "That's a good glass of wine." That, that, that's all that matters. All that matters is personal happiness and, and hedonism. I always, I always bring wine back down to hedonism. It's just you know, wine, wine exists to make us happy. Um, but one thing about the current moment that we're in is that wine is also a weird time machine. And um, if you're into wine and if you've traveled to enjoy wine, you can pull up a bottle of wine, pop it, taste it, drink it, knowing that those are grapes and water and sunshine from years ago from a place that you've been to. And then you can live that moment again. And so one thing I've been encouraging some people to do is pull up the, the photos on their computer um, from wine trips, pop a bottle of wine from a trip that you're on and just look at those photos again. And drink the wine from that place while you're looking at those. You know, um, live in a little bit of nostalgia because you know, otherwise we're just stirring our, our own brains right now. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, what What do you think this will do to production? Do you think that 2020's season of wine is going to be affected by this in any way? Well, the, the season won't be the the vine. The vines don't catch the virus, so the vines are going to make their grapes and and uh, and and the grapes will have to be harvested and, and production will happen. But um, around the world right now, there's a little bit of a glut of wine on the marketplace. Um, popularity or demand has flatlined for the first time in 25 years. And um, so there'll be a little bit more wine available to people starting this with this next vintage release cycle. So 2019, the vintage was, was quite big around the world and the demand is flatlined. So we're going to see more value wine out there. We're going to see some more uh, private labels, a lot of private labels, meaning, you know, you go to Trader Joe's and they have wine that you can only buy at Trader Joe's and you can't buy it anywhere else. And private labels are a big thing in the wine industry in terms of income generation, because you can't price shop it. You know, if you see that wine at Trader Joe's, you can't pull out your phone and find it cheaper at the store right down the street. And so the wine industry has changed a lot in the last 10 years as a result of direct consumer sales, private labels, all that sort of stuff. Um, but what's happening that 
in terms of the virus and the moment that we're in right now is that travel has stopped. Um, wineries are shut down in terms of their tasting rooms. The production facilities are still going, of course, but the tasting rooms are shut down. Um, tasting rooms are a big revenue generator for a lot of wineries. And if their economic model is based on tasting room sales and they're not getting that, it'll, it'll trickle down into the rest of their business. You know, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough to see what happens. Um, wineries are oftentimes pretty heavily leveraged. Um, it costs a lot of money to start up a winery. And if you can't pay the bank, then uh, we'll see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. Um, do you mind if we shift a little bit to your home life and talk about Go that? Go for it. Yeah. Uh, I, in, in this newsletter that you had sent out that, that someone forwarded to me, uh, I think it mentioned that your your own mother is in uh, a, a retirement home. You've got a mother-in-law who's yeah. in a nursing home. And uh, yeah. can, can you talk about that a little bit? For sure, for sure. So uh, both my wife, Angela, and I, uh, our moms are in their 80s. Uh, they both live in town here. They're f- very good friends. And um, my mom is, uh, is healthy. Um, she lives on the ninth floor of a building that overlooks the, uh, one of the main interstates in town. She loves watching traffic. Um, and she loves hearing just the buzz of everything outside. And she's doing fine. She's, she's isolated herself, but she's, uh, she's staying put. My mother-in-law is at a nursing home. And she's been frail for years. She's had a lot of problems over the years. And then just two, two or three days ago, we found out that one of the patient, one of the residents at that home tested positive for COVID-19. Hmm. And on a different floor, but we know how this thing is starting to spread and we really fear for what's going to happen uh, there. Um, you know, we're recording this on April 3rd and the warnings are out that the next two weeks are going to be hellacious in the, uh, in the country. And I really worry about that. Um, the, it's just, we just can't get our heads around it. We just can't get our heads around it because we can't go see her. You know, we're not allowed in the building. So, you know, it's tough. It's really tough. And so we focus our energy back on the business. We focus on building some of these things, making sure that, uh, that we're just staying busy. That's the biggest thing for us. Yeah. And what, what else helps you maintain your perspective and your own mental health? Uh, well, obviously walks, getting outside. Um, I haven't been able to exercise as much as I would normally like to, um, just been too busy having to sit down at the computer and put out fires and reply to emails and stuff like that. But, um, uh, I love cooking and I love taking the time to stop and turn off all the electronic devices and take out a cookbook and, uh, cook for about an hour or two. That's my relaxation. And, um, my, my wife has been in the garden, um, getting ready for springtime and, you know, we just do what we can do. But I think that staying busy is the most important thing. The one bit of advice that I uh, heard and it came through from uh, Seth Godin, from the great Seth Godin, was to completely avoid live, especially 24-hour news channels right now. You know, just knowing that the 24-hour news channels, especially, it's an ad revenue-based model. And so they need to have advertisers in order for them to make money, and they make a lot of money. And they've become so good at this feeding this kind of mental nicotine into people in order to keep them hooked. Um, that, uh, that's the kind of downward funnel that I just 
have to avoid completely. So I don't, I don't watch the news at all right now. I'm, I, uh, I read the New York times and then our local paper two or three times a day, but I turn my timer on first 10 or 15 minutes and then that's it. I got to get away from that stuff because there's just, there's just too much, uh, to, too much um, ability for them to hook us in nowadays. And I think that's a very important thing with people isolated at home. You know, I, I'm watching neighbors from, uh, from the yard that have their TV on CNN all day long sometimes all night long. And I just can't even imagine that. Not, not, not my style, not my style. Yeah. I think at a certain point it becomes corrosive. It's good to stay informed. Yes. It's good to touch base, but it becomes uh, obsessive and corrosive. I think. Yep. Agree. Yeah. Um, boy, we have to think of how to end on a happier note than that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, 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 let's talk about uh, opportunities. I mean, you know, what, 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 what has this done for us as a society that, that gives us a chance to pause? And I think that, um, you know, try, I'm always trying to find that, that bright side. I'm always trying to find the silver lining. And I really do think that we're at an amazing point here for the very first time and maybe hopefully the only time in our lifetimes that we have to do this as a society. Stop. Um, be at home. Be with the kids. Um, pay attention to who you are. Pay attention to how you live. Um, question some things. Question your life. Question your work. Question, is this what you want to do? Um, one of the things about our pivot that we had to do was that I've known for years that Twin Cities Wine Education doing live wine classes in front of groups five or six nights a week was not sustainable. I, mean, I just knew that, but I was also hooked on it because that was our income and I didn't really want to take the time to do anything else um, as far as inventing something else. This forced the invention. So I think that in terms of ending on a positive Everybody can stop and reevaluate right now. Um, everybody can stop at this exact moment and figure out, is this how I want to keep on living? Do I want to live the life I lived before, or do I want to pivot and do something a little bit different in the future? And it might be a job change, might be a family change, might be um, lifestyle change, who knows what it is. Um, but I've talked to a number of people that use this opportunity to quit smoking or quit drinking you know, um, or to take up exercise or, or learn how to play the ukulele or do anything in order to kind of figure out a way to become who you actually want to be instead of just being caught in the hamster wheel of day-to-day life like we were before. Right. No, I think that's a great place to wrap. I think that's good advice going forward. Jason, thank you for taking the time today. It's been good to talk to you. I really appreciate it, John. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck with things and, uh, we'll see you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for How Life Changed. I'm your host, John Noldner, and I look forward to seeing you next time. How Life Changed is a series produced by A Piece of My Mind, a multimedia arts project that uses storytelling to rediscover what connects us. You can find A Piece of My Mind on Instagram at A-P-O-M-M stories, on Twitter at a piece of my mind one, that's the numeral one, Facebook and YouTube at a piece of my mind. Peace is always spelled out P E A C E. And you can find all of those links on our website, APOMM.net. That's the acronym for a piece of my mind.net. Listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend to listen too. Together, We'll see the world in new ways, one story at a time.